Hello and welcome back. This is War Stories with B-Rex. It is the 18th of October, 2020. And I'm going to start the episode off today with a small list. Um, One is sort of a logistical admin uh, item where I think I'm going to upload these onto podcasts on Sunday, every Sunday, every week, and then I'm going to edit a video and release that whenever it's done later in the week, aiming around Fridays. So I'm going to put those on YouTube every Friday. Um, Now, back to Iraq. Um, Then I have a, a list right here of things that I forgot that are pertinent to my story, I believe. When we were out there at the checkpoints, because remember I left you guys, I was talking about we had been out the checkpoints for about 10 days while a bunch of stuff was going on. And uh, while we were out there, my friend Welsh was standing on post 5, I believe, which is on the opposite side of the base from post 2 where Riviera was was, uh, killed. And Welsh got shot in the head. It hit him right in the helmet, he was actually fine, he only needed a couple stitches on his head, but, uh, so that sniper never went away, um, he, he hung around the fob down in Hocklandia for a while, and I know Echo Company had to deal with him too, so they brought the sniper team from the battalion down and tried to do some counter-sniper operations, where they were in one of the hooches, and I haven't really explained that yet, where that is in relation to where my hooch was. But basically, there's two buildings, two major buildings in the fob, and then a couple houses that were also included in the fob. My platoon lived in one of those houses, right next to the CCP, which is where the corpsmen all hang out in the, in the, in the company. Uh, we had a, the battalion surgeon with us, actually, um, so they can work on wounded people. But, uh, he was up there, he took, he got shot in the head, and so they brought the sniper team down and had them in what turned out to be 4th Platoon's Hooch, which was a few doors down from us in that one building. And they had removed a sandbag, and they were scanning the city, because our fob was like a sniper, uh, trap. It was in, it was in the, it was in like the convergence of multiple valleys, so it was at like the lowest point in the city, basically, right before you went over this giant like Wadi River thing. And the sniper team was scanning the, the city. Everybody was in there chilling, I guess, no gear on. And all of a sudden there was a loud noise and blood went spurting everywhere. And everybody was like, oh, everybody assumed the sniper had just taken us around to the head. But it turned out to be a, a ceiling fan whack the dude while he was looking through his scope and scanning he, he I guess he stood up or sat up too tall and got hit with a ceiling fan and they their ceiling fans are just made out of like sheet metal in Iraq so yeah it took a took a chunk out of his head and everybody freaked out but then had a good laugh so the CO runs over and he's not in gear which I'll explain that in a little bit he has no gear on he runs across and he's so distraught because he heard that one of the snipers had been hit and he said to everybody, oh, thank God you're okay. I just can't afford to lose one of you guys. It's like, oh, but you can afford to lose one of us? Like Riviera that got killed earlier this week and all the people that have been sent home wounded already? 
So he made he was pretty famous for making comments that were very derogatory towards us as his Marines. Um, so those are the two things that I needed to touch on, and then that that happened while we were out of the the we were at K three and TCP. So we rotate back in, and this is when we get our first real taste of what the fob is like. And there was some foreshadowing when we were at Twenty Nine Palms where Staff Sergeant Judd was our platoon sergeant, and he was on, I said this last week, I mean, he must have been on deployment number five. <laughs> I, he was on so many, he had done so many deployments. He was a very salty dude, but he was very reasonable, very chill, very cool. Um, and he had this weird moment where we were sitting in one of the hooches at Camp Wilson, and he, like, got the thousand-yard look, or thousand yard stare and he just said these like this weird statement about how well it's the mission it's the mission of of us of our of you know of the commands to make it so that you want to be in the fob and not outside the wire and then he just like stared off and i was like huh and i think i might have been the only one that noticed it well i think what he meant was your chain of command can make your life more miserable than the freaking enemy can and so when we rotated back to the FOB, there were so many rules and there was so much dumb shit going on where it was miserable. It was like they were trying to get us to lose our minds or they were just trying, like they were taking out some sort of sick pleasure on us. Our, our company commander was such a piece of shit where they, they had taken all the condiments and sugar and cream for the coffee for some reason, and they just said, you guys need to get in a combat mindset. But then all the officers and staff and COs were just using coffee, creamer, and ketchup, and we were getting, like, big pallets of Gatorade and shit, and all these drink mixes, and all this, like, good stuff, and all of it just ended up in the officer and staff and COs hooch. And when anybody brought it up for us, they just, they just shit on us and said that, oh, you guys need to be in the right mindset. Don't get complacent. Like, what? There's also... Um, on the ground, and I was looking through my photos, and I can't find the photo of it, so if anybody listening has this photo, or any photos, actually, go ahead and send them to me, but, uh, they had taken black and yellow duct tape, and they marked out, like, a hazard zone line on the ground, and so, like, half of the fob was, was beyond this point, and there was a sign that said, beyond this point, there is no laughing, joking, smiling, any so you weren't allowed to be happy in any way on on the other side of this uh <clears throat> of this line and as i said that was like half the fob we weren't we just weren't allowed to have any joy and and i'm not joking and so they were they were making sure that you didn't have any happy thoughts um as well as any time we stepped out of overhang overhead cover we had to wear full gear so to go take a piss to go take a shit to go take a shower to go get chow to go to the coc we had to be full ppe which for us at that on that deployment included gloves our shirts tucked in or our sorry our blouses tucked in flak jacket neck protector eye pro helmet and if you got caught without any one of those items, instant loss in rank.
You can ask guys like Jackson, I think, got busted for taking his iPro or his glove off on post to do something. So if you got caught outside without your gear on, you're screwed. So we assume post, and at that time, post wasn't too bad. Um, you do six hours on and then 12 off, usually. And then every once in a while, you'd have to do a six on, six on, six on, six off. Um, where you're basically just standing in a box. You weren't allowed to smoke, but we all did. You weren't allowed to drink anything other than water. But some of us took rippets and stuff. You couldn't sit down. If you got caught sleeping, you're screwed, obviously. You can't be sleeping out there. Um, and you would just stand there, and you would just watch the side of um, whatever your sector of fire was. You'd just sit there and just watch and wait. Which, the base got attacked a lot, so every once in a while the base would get attacked when you're on post, and that was kind of exciting. But uh, I don't know, I don't think that first rotation the base was attacked when I was on post. Um, the closest thing that happened to that was one of the first couple days we were there, um, I was off shift and I was sleeping and I was sitting, I was asleep in my bed, which our hooch was, um, we had like kids bunk beds, like little, we had, somehow we had gotten a giant bulk sale or bulk order of these like crappy metal kids bunk beds and that's what everybody had and in my hooch there was one triple decker bunk over in the corner but all the rest were these matching like purple metallic bunk beds and we're sleeping and all of a sudden i remember getting like shooken awake by something like what and then i'm sitting there like confused in my rack and all of a sudden it's like boom like another explosion happens like oh we're getting mortared and I jump off my rack and I'm leaning down to grab my, my flak jacket to put it on. And this third round hits. And I remember dust, like, like the explosion wasn't right outside, but the concussion caused a little bit of dust to, like, kick up under the door. And I was like, dang. And then that was, that they, they always hit us with three mortars just to screw with us during that time. And so we all looked at each other and kind of laughed. And I'm like, well, we've just been mortared. <laughs> this this deployment's going quick. Um, so post is, like I said, boring. You're sitting in a box. You're just alone with your thoughts for up to 12 hours a day. So there's not much to do. So a lot of people were getting in trouble for going to sleep. Some people were getting in trouble for taking off their iPro or or hand pro their gloves um but there there is a time when a lot of us were basically over being at the fob already after that first rotation just because when you're on post week you're also basically the base's bitch like you have to do all the chores around the base so you have to take out the trash for the cooks you have to take out the trash for the officers, and you had to clean the officers' bathroom, and you had to clean the officers' shower, which we weren't allowed to use. Um, we had to burn all the trash by just standing in the burn pit with a pitchfork and stirring it up. You had to stir shit that, you know, was burning. Um, 
you ha- you had to fill the. I think the worst thing was filling the generators because we had these giant diesel generators, and they just burned through fuel. So every time after post, you'd spend about an hour with a hand pump from a 55 gallon drum of diesel filling up gas cans and then putting the gas cans into the diesel generator. And the pump had like, it was, it was like broken and cracked. The hoses were for it. So as you're turning the hand pump, it's just like spraying diesel all over you. So you just reeked of diesel. (laughs) You're just drenched from diesel. Um, so there, there is one time where staff Sergeant Judd, who I really liked him. I thought he was an awesome platoon sergeant. Uh, he looked at the base and was like, we don't have any supplemental positions, which a supplemental position for us is when the base is really getting attacked hard and, and everybody that's not on post has to go and defend the base also. Um, there's places for you to go. And so he had us filling sandbags all day this one day and it was miserable and then it came down like, hey, we need volunteers to go on a pretty dangerous mission. And Riley and I were just like, yep, let's do this. So we both volunteered so that we didn't have to fill sandbags. We'd rather go out and possibly get killed. Um, and our mission was we were supposed to be the, we were the first American convoy to make it up to Echo's position. So we drove north up. Uh, the main drag, Hakunia Boulevard, up through Bonnie D, which I'll get to that later, um, up through Bonnie D, up through the south side of Haditha to the Haditha Fob. And we left, it was nighttime, we left, we're driving, it's really my first patrol, or it's my first anything in the city besides coming in and then immediately leaving and then coming back in. And we're cruising, and we're all expecting to get hit or attacked or something, because... You know, the whole 10 days we were out at freaking the checkpoints, things were going crazy. And the whole time we had been on post, things were going crazy for the Marines that were out there patrolling around. And we see there's like a dirt pile on the side of the road and there's a red chem light stuck in it. And we're kind of like, is that a symbol for something? Are they saying that that's an IED? Are they saying that we shouldn't mess with it or we should stay away from it. So we had to drive right past it. So we basically just plugged our ears. Riley got down in the turret and we just hauled ass past it. <laughs> and, and that's how we, um, that's how we dealt with that. So we get to the fob. I think we're, I don't know what we were even doing, but we, we did something with echo company and then we drove home. So then as the week ended, it was our turn to patrol. And this is where Captain Perry Waters again said some bullshit where we had never even been on a patrol except for Riley and I. And maybe Montana had probably been on a couple when he when he went early with all the shitbags. But we're about to do our first patrol. And the CO just starts blatantly like fucking with our lieutenant. And honestly, it's weird because our lieutenant was obviously the most competent lieutenant out of the dipshits that were the other lieutenants. I can't even remember, I think Weller or Welsh. There was, some of those lieutenants were just so retarded and it was idiotic. And so our, our lieutenant did really well at 29 Palms, but 
he was black. And, and I'm not normally one to get like racial and get into racial politics, but I sat and I analyzed it for hours and I have no idea why Captain Perry Waters hated our Lieutenant so much. He was a stud. He was like a Naval Academy football player. We had the best platoon that did the best. We were all, you know, we did the best on every single range. I don't understand. So anyways, he's like, for some reason, fucking with our lieutenant. And he's saying, yeah, third platoon's not doing their fucking job yet because they haven't taken any casualties. And we're all kind of like, uh, we were at the TCP and we were on post. It was... Yeah, we like Van Leer almost got killed on post that shift, I think. He had a sniper shoot at him, but it missed. So, like, what are you mad at us because we haven't lost anybody yet? Because every other platoon had had lots of casualties, lots of guys sent home, lots of wounded. And so we were just like, all right, well, thanks, man. So we go on our first patrol, it's a night patrol. And I was in third squad, I was in Stinson squad. And we. We push out, and we head towards, we go through the bazaar, and this is the first real taste of like how shitty our NVGs were going to be while we were there in in Hakonia, because as I said in the last episode, about a quarter of the houses had power, because they had generators. So when you're using NVGs in a situation where, especially back then, I don't know how they are now, but I mean, I had the old NVGs that were the two, you look through two eye holes and then there was one like lens for looking around. So it was like a Cyclops looking one. And because of that, it had no depth perception. The quality was so crappy. I mean, Marines are tough on gear. And so some Marines had it before me. Um, but I remember on that patrol walking and seeing where a shadow would cast on a wall and it would look like the corner of the wall, like the corner of an exterior wall. And so people would just smack right into it. They would, they would think that it was an open area or a door or a gap in the wall and they would just smack right into the wall. And as we're patrolling, we're heading south and there's, there's like a, there's a valley that goes down to a bridge that goes over to an island that's in the river. And as we're going down, there's one of these situations where it was super bright across, like from the side of us, across in front of us. And then it was just, we did you couldn't see what was past that line of shade or brightness. And as we're moving forward, all of a sudden we hear somebody drop something and then take off running in flip-flops like in the night and we all take a knee and then we like slowly move forward. And we basically had walked up on a dude who was about 95% into putting in an IED. So there was the, I think it was already rounds of some sort and like a battery and everything was all getting put into the ground. We're like, Holy shit. So we like briefly looked around for him probably 30 or 45 minutes we didn't find anything, but then we had to do the whole, we called DOD. We had to wait for hours for them to come and then they, they blew it up. They also were able to get a lot of Intel off of it because it, it hadn't been put in yet. So they, they were able to really look at it and study it and stuff. So that was kind of cool for our first patrol. It was like a win. 
So we wrote, you know, we finished that, we come back to the fob. Our next patrol was the next evening. So we actually had a pretty good gap to chill. So we got some good rest, we were feeling good. And our second patrol, we were, um, they get, we they attached a CAG group, which or a CAG team, so that's civil affairs group. So this is some of that like hearts and minds stuff, where we're gonna go out, we're gonna talk to people, we're gonna figure out what they need in their lives. Is their electricity good? Is their water good? You know, what do they need? They need us to help them build a road or their house, fix their house. So we had two civil affairs marines, and then they brought an extra corpsman. So we had three extra guys and our patrol had us, I can't remember where we were supposed to go, but our patrol had us go out the main ECP patrol down the main drag, um, that we drove in on, on the trucks and then turn left and walk past the South side of the fob. And we're walking and we're literally can see the fob. So we're maybe 200 yards outside the fob. We're, we're just outside of post seven. So we're on the south side of the fob. <clears throat> and I remember, you know, we're all scanning the grounds and we're going up sort of a pretty steep little incline. And it had the drive. I remember specifically because the driveways had some of the stuff that like in San Francisco you see where it's so steep but the doorway is on the slope. So there's like a, like a concrete, like wall curb, like, uh, like retaining wall almost. Um, I don't know if it's something cause I used to skateboard. So it's something that you definitely see in skateboarding videos, like dudes jumping off of them or doing a trick off them or whatever. Um, so we're walking up and then all of a sudden there's like the loudest noise I had ever heard in my life just this huge crunch, this huge explosion. And I remember, and this could be totally in my mind, but I remember I was like, as I was looking, I was scanning the ground for IEDs and stuff. When it happened, like the dust all came off the ground, like straight up at me. And it was like, it came up probably six inches, but I, I swear that it, it kept like the same shape as what the, the ground underneath. Like it came up like an imprint or like a impression or something. I don't know. It looked super crazy. And so I, I grabbed cover in one of those, um, cutouts in the, in the hill and I looked forward and the dust was clearing and Riley and Kreiser both just laying on the ground and the whole road is covered in like rocks and dirt and stuff. And I was the, so I was the squad radio operator. I was also the platoon radio operator if we did platoon stuff. Um, so I, once I saw that they were down, I immediately got on the radio. I was like, golf base, golf base or golf main, golf main, you know, this is golf three, three. Um, and I didn't know if it was an IED or a mortar because we were so close to the fob that I thought that the fob had, that we had just been hit with a mortar, that they were trying to mortar the fob and they missed and, and just happened to hit us on chance. So I literally was like, <clears throat> There's been an explosion. We have two Marines down. Stand by for nine line medevac. And so we're sitting there and 
Hillsdorf and Travis are the next two in line. And so they do this, they, they scan, they move up looking for secondary IEDs. Cause a lot of times they'll have one IED that takes out a couple guys. And then as you go to help those guys, the secondary or tertiary or more, sometimes there's up to 15 IEDs that go off. Um, they always showed us this training video, this army unit just getting absolutely wrecked. Um, so they scan up looking for secondary IEDs. There are none. All right, sweet. So they drag Riley and Kreiser back. And that's when I get a good look at their wounds for the first time. And Kreiser, it looked, he had a huge chunk taken out of his leg, like his thigh. His quadricep looked like somebody took a shovel and just like scooped a big chunk out of it. And then he got hit in the face really hard. So his face was, his jaw was kind of like hanging open. So he got hit in like the left side of the face. So his jaw was sort of hanging open. And I remember like his teeth and stuff were all like on his flak jacket, like head falling out. And then Riley had really bad wounds in his back and in his like, not gooch region, but like the space between his nuts and his fucking thigh. Like, that was, like, really messed up. And there's an artery in there, so it's really dangerous. So Stinson comes over, my squad leader, and he does a nine-line medevac, which is, it's a report that we use to get a helicopter in the air to come to us to pick up our wounded. Um, I don't know it perfectly off the top of my head, but it includes, like, the grid. It includes, like, how many of each type of casualty. Do we need litters, or can they walk? Um, do we need a respirator? Is any of it like, is this spinal? Do we need a backboard? You basically, in this nine line report, you answer all those questions. So he gets on and he does it like flawlessly. He kill, he kills it. And then he hands the radio back to me and we're waiting or now we're just like chilling. And this is where, again, I can't, uh, this, this pot, I hope this podcast doesn't turn into me just just berating all the officers in my life, but the officers at the COC fucked up again. They're idiots. So they get on and they ask, well, can you just carry them back to base? And like I said, yeah, we were 200 yards out, but they were messed up and we need, you know, we're like kind of in a weird spot, sort of exposed. And if we just drug them back to the base, it would just mess them up. It would hurt them really bad. And so I'm like negative, negative. And then they go, okay, well, you know, when the, when the, when QRF gets there, like a mobile unit, so guys in Humvees and a seven ton, when QRF gets there, do you want us to take them to the FOB or do you want us to take them to the LZ? And I'm like, talking to the XO, Lieutenant Cork, Corklin or Corky, we called him Corky. Um, he had that stupid, like duck, duck butt haircut where you like comb it forward and then you have the bangs up in the air like that's what he wore anyways he so i'm like no we need to take them to the lz they're both urgent surgical and they're like finally after some back and forth they're like okay we're sending out qrf so qrf gets there and they we load them up in the in the vic and as qrf's on the way we carried laminated cards in our shoulder pockets because we had our dog tags. We carried laminated cards that had all the same information 
has our dog tags on it, blood type, uh, social security number, and stuff like that. So they handed me the kill cards for Riley and Kreiser so that I could, you know, send up the information of who was hit. And I remember Riley's had a fucking hole in it. And it was soaked in blood. So they both had their major wounds, but they both were just, had tons and tons of uh, small entry and exit wounds all over them. Like, I, explosion, explosion injuries are pretty brutal, the way that they tear people up. Um, so they get in their truck, or they get in the back of a um, high back, and then they take them away. And they're in, you know... All told, I think it took like 15 minutes to get him in the air, which the silver lining is that's pretty good, you know. It sucks that our buddies just got hit, but at least we got him to the hospital really quick. So we ask if we're supposed to continue our mission, and they say, no, just return to base, because I think that that was like the straw that broke the camel's back for the whole civil affairs, hearts and minds thing on that deployment. So... We come back to base, we're chilling, we don't know what to do, and then they're like, okay, EOD's coming, you're going to go out and do a post-blast analysis. So we had to go back to the exact same spot with EOD, and this time we drove. So we're in the back of a 7-ton, we get there, and as we're getting out, somebody shoots a pin flare which we had these little like pin flares that you would shoot at people if they drove too close or they walked too close and we wanted them to get back. And it looked, it was just like an orange, like kind of looked like a tracer round, but it's just like an orange little flare that you like shot at them. But it sounds like a gunshot. And so we're all in the back of the seven ton and we're getting out and there's like a steep set of stairs and you were going down the stairs and someone shoots one of those pin flares. So everyone's sort of, um, pushing from behind and I fall and my thumb goes into one of the holes of the grate on the top stair and I fall all the way down and I'm like, Oh this shit hurts so bad. But I didn't pay attention to it cause Hey, we got to set up security and stuff like that and do this, uh, post analysis or post blast analysis. So we do that. We come back to the base we were basically told a couple things. One, Staff Sergeant Judd gets taken by H&S Company because he had worked with Iraqis before, so he just leaves. So we don't have a platoon sergeant for a little bit. And then we have to split up my squad because we had lost two guys, so we were down to seven guys. So we get split up, and now there's just two squads of ten. So Stinson and Trujillo go to the other squad with uh, Sergeant Covington as a squad leader. And then I stay with Corporal McDonald or I go to Corporal McDonald's squad. And now I, now I'm in nation's fire team instead of Trujillo. So yeah, we're down to two like 12 man squads. So for a little bit there, we get, they're just like throwing different like gunnies at us to be our platoon sergeant and then taking them away. And it's just sort of like, what's going on? So then the rumor on the street is that we're going to get the Sandman. And the Sandman 
was the last guy any of us wanted. We watched him as a sergeant. He came straight from the drill field. So he was a drill instructor. So he was one of those guys that that was his style. He led drill instructor style. He was a drill instructor. He was really good at it. You know, he was he was good at yelling at people. He was good at micromanaging. But I remember being out at 29 Palms and watching him march his squad and do, like, shaving and... Uh, teeth brushing by the numbers like we did at boot camp and just being like, Oh my God, sucks to be those guys. But he got promoted to staff sergeant and became my platoon sergeant, which that's a whole new can of worms. Um, in hindsight, you know, no hard feelings towards him. I just, he made our lives pretty rough after, after he became our platoon sergeant. Um, so the first patrol, after that day that we lost Riley and Kreiser, the mission, and this one's amazing, is the mission was to go way down south of Hoklania. There was a big bridge that went across the river. And it was a bridge, it was a pretty high up bridge, maybe 50 feet, 100 feet up from the water, because it was like kind of a canyon, sort of, but it was a rail bridge. And I guess what was happening was the insurgents were using the rail bridge to drive cars back and forth across. So our mission was to go down there and weld things onto the bridge that made it so that cars couldn't drive across it, but trains still could. So I guess it makes sense logically. And Fox Company was going to be on the other side of the bridge securing their bridgehead while the engineers worked on the bridge. Well, we didn't have enough guys to man the minimum requirement of vehicles. So Nation and I are just put in a Humvee with no gunner. And we're in the formation of... Because we always drove 7 ton up front because it was the biggest, it was the heaviest, it was the safest. At that point, only... One group of people had been killed in a 7-ton by IEDs, and that was because the ID was so huge that it just launched the truck into the air super high, and when it landed, it killed everybody. So that was the vehicle that we always wanted to ride in, because Humvees, psh, they, you know, you blow them up, there's just nothing left sometimes. Um, and so we're in, this, we're in the Humvee, Nation's driving, which it's supposed to be the senior guy sitting shotgun and the junior guy driving, but the Marine Corps again, idiotic, where only dudes with Humvee licenses were allowed to drive the Humvees. So, like, not very many of us. Nation had his Humvee license, so he had to drive. And then I sat shotgun. We didn't have a turret gunner. But I remember just being so exhausted because we had done, we had done some working party or something after um, we did that that post-blast analysis and so I'm just exhausted and we get in our Humvees and we start driving south and we're, we're driving on dirt roads which are the most dangerous because you can easily hide IEDs and it's sort of the same way as bronze was coming into the fob where there's just craters from IEDs everywhere on the road like holy shit so we come in we get to the bridgehead and it's this big open area and there might have even been like a little mini station kind of a thing, like a little tiny building on the side of the railway. But we're mostly just out in the middle of nowhere. 
there's some like rice or some sort of fields for crops to our like front. So we set we set up a um, security cordon, and Nation and I are out by ourselves in a Humvee, and he takes the first watch because he knows that for some reason I had to do something. I we we rock paper scissored for it maybe, but he he took the first watch. I went to sleep in the front seat. When we got there, they had found a what they thought was an IED where it was just a bucket, five-gallon bucket buried in the ground upside down. So it was just the top of the bucket showing. And they're like, hmm, that's sketchy. So they called DOD to come down. I'm asleep. I get woken up by a huge explosion probably 100 yards in front of us, and EOD from, had driven from the dam all the way down, and once they got to us, they hit an IED like 100 feet in front of us. Humvee gets messed up. Dude's sitting in the backseat. Um, like, because the explosion happened, I'm awake. I look, and I see the turret gunner and the driver hop out. And they're, you know, they're shooken up, but they seem okay. But the dude in the backseat isn't, no, isn't responsive. It's like, oh, shit. And what had happened is the IED wasn't very big. It blew up next to the Humvee. But the Humvees have thick bulletproof glass. And in the early ones, the glass was on the inside. And it was in like a slid up and down so you could open and shut the window. Well, when the blast happened, it blew that piece of glass, which is a heavy, probably four inch thick piece of bulletproof glass you know like a 12 by 12 four inch thick that thing hit the dude in the head and killed him i mean he fought for a while um had some issues and obviously didn't make it which is sad i don't even i can't i don't remember his name but it was a guy that was with eod from hns um so we're like shit then we continue setting security, and, and one of the first things I said when we got there was like, "Well, what if a train comes?" Because they're out on the, they're out on the bridge, a hundred feet up. It's a one-lane railroad bridge, and they have like a forklift out there, and they have Humvees out there, and they have all these guys working. Like, what if a train comes fucking barreling through? And everyone's like, "Oh no, we talked to the train company, and no one's going to be using a train." Like, all right, well, I guess that makes sense. Like 30 minutes later, you hear a fucking train horn in the distance, and I'm like, fuck. So we're standing there, and I'm I'm watching this train going like full speed, and it's just the engine. It's not, it doesn't have any cars behind it, it's just like a diesel locomotive just hauling ass. And I'm watching the fucking guys on the bridge panicking. And this dude, and it's not the normal forklift, like, in a fucking, um, warehouse or something. This is a forklift that has an arm that, like, moves up and down. Like, I'll find a picture when I post this to YouTube. Um, it's a big piece of equipment. And he, it's so big that he couldn't do, like, a multi-point turn or he couldn't turn around. So he's reversing it towards us, towards the train, hauling ass across the desert. And then you just, you know, they lock up the brakes and they're just skidding, but they're still, you know, trains don't just stop. So I'm like watching back and forth and it's intense. 
And somehow the train fucking stops with like 20 yards to go before the bridge. And all the Marines were able to get out of the way and the train pushed across and then they went back to work. But I was blown away that we almost just lost dudes to a fucking train accident. <sighs> um, so, you know, we went back to the FOB. And again, this is where this like weird prejudice towards my, my lieutenant came up again. And Lieutenant Corky and the CO are just blowing, like laying into my lieutenant because that guy got killed. I'm like, we got a motherfucker who's fucking brain dead. What the fuck? Like yelling at him and us. Like, what are we supposed to do? What were we supposed to hit that? I, I don't know. It was, it was this weird, like, in all, and at this point, I don't know if the CO or the XO had been on any patrols. So it had been, at this point, it had probably been 10 days plus seven. So it, was, it had probably been 20 days or so, 20 something days. And neither of them fucking had been on a patrol. Like they sat in the fob. That's all they did. They sat in the fob and they used the sat phone to call home. And we were out there getting chewed up. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think I'm going to, uh, end it here. Remember, if you like this stuff, subscribe, like, share. Um, this will be on the podcast today, but it'll be on YouTube later this week. Um, and have a good day. Thank you for watching.